Mike Battle, everyone. He's taking care of 15 computers, four screens, television. Hey, out there in television land. By the way, Anna, you need to be here. <laughs> we know why you're not here. So, good to see all of you this morning. We're continuing with our study of the superiority of Jesus. Now, I, I don't want to, I keep saying this and I don't want to try, I, I'm not trying to put anybody down, but I do want to alert us to a reality. If we lined up a hundred believers and we were to ask, what are the two essential, essential attributes of this man called Jesus that cause him to be superior? Remember that, the two central, comprehensive, simultaneous in one man attributes that cause this man to be who he is. To be able to be called the Savior of the world. To be able to go to the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Not just go to the cross, but to shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. As as uh, uh, proclaimed as, where's my words? By God, as done and accepted in the resurrection. The resurrection is God's acceptance of what Jesus has done at the cross. What are the two essential attributes of this man to cause him to be who he is? The diminution or the diminishing of one Eliminates both. The increase of one over the other eliminates both. Both are equally significant in his life. Now, if you're sitting here and you've been in the class more than two or three weeks, you should know this. So here they are. Who wants to tell us? Who wants to answer this? Raise your hand if you want to answer this. This is called the school of the word. Not just the listening to a, an elder or teacher word. So what are the two essential attributes or truths? Stephen, will you stand up, please, Stephen? This is Steve Zeringer, everyone. Okay. Now, loudly so they can hear it. He must be fully God and fully man. Together, simultaneously, equally in one person. Do we have that? He must be the son of God and he must be the son of man. Please, please get this. This is so fundamental to why and how God has saved us. It is one of those root things that we need to know about our faith. So we have been going through, I think this is what, week eight or nine or ten or something like that, going through the superiority of Jesus. And we've been tracing out his divinity. We've been tracing it by going into the Old Testament, which is the source or the fount of all of God's revelation that is fulfilled in the New Testament. Did we get that? The Old Testament is the source or the fount. 
out of which all the revelation in that Old Testament is what? Fulfilled in the New Testament. That means this, that nothing in the New Testament is new in respect to its appearance to some degree and in some way already in the pages of the Old Testament. Only reason I ask for amen occasionally, I want to know if you understand. Do we understand this? So everything written in the 27 books of the New Testament has already been prepared prophetically in parts and in pieces and shadowing and prefiguring, etc. Where? In the Old Testament. Everything in the New has already been promised in the Old, and the New is a fulfillment of that which has been promised. And God has promised to keep his original purpose, Genesis 126, to have a people in his own image by sending his son, who is the creator of all things, to be now the savior of those whom he has created for the glory of God, right? He has come to save those who have been created to be God's people for the display of his glory. He doesn't come for just everybody on earth. He doesn't. You see that in John 17, I do not pray for the world. But I pray for those whom you have given me out of the world. And so we're continuing this morning in this venture. I am taking my time. I'm going slowly because I think we had to very closely knit all of this information together rather than jumping to some scriptures and saying here, this, this, and the other. All right. This morning, we're going to begin looking at what is called messianic psalms. Now, remember what messianic is an adjective form of what word? Messiah. Messiah is the anglification or the anglification, the word in the English of the Old Testament word that has to do with anointing, Mashiach. Jesus called Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah or Jesus Christos in the, uh, in the uh, Latin, G, or, uh, sorry, Greek, Jesus the Christ. Christ, Messiah, anointed, these are synonymous terms, right? And so, forgotten where I was now, where am I? Oh, we're looking at the Messianic Psalms. The Messianic Psalms are those that in particular, in particular, have messianic prophetic statements it may be a verse it may even be a phrase it may be two or three verses it may be the entire psalm as in psalm 22 now in one way every psalm is messianic how do i know that because you remember when jesus was talking to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke twenty two forty four. He said, as it is written in where? Mo- Moses, the prophets and the writings. Remember the Tanakh, the three divisions of the scriptures of the Jews. As it is written about me. And includes all the Psalms in that. But there are specific psalms that have specific references to a coming Messiah, a promised man who will deliver Israel from their bondage to all of these oppressed people. At least as they understood, they understood it only partially. 
So this morning we begin to look at Psalm chapter 2. Okay, Psalm 2. We're going to go through the whole psalm kind of quickly, but in general. Psalm 2 proclaims God's rule through his anointed Messiah over all the rebellious people of the nations. And I, it's very important just to see that right up front. Psalm 2 is that psalm which, you know, the nations are going to rebel and they're shaking their fist at God. We're going to do this. And God is scoffing them and saying, hey, hey, this ain't happening. And then he begins to talk about setting his king in Mount Zion. We'll see that in a moment. But this is very, very, very important. God does. God has always done. And God will always do everything he does. Every time he does it. To any extent at all. He always does it. In a Trinitarian way. Everything is the will of God the Father. Can you say amen? amen? Everything. Everything is purchased and made fulfilled by God the Son. How much? Everything, Debbie. How much? Everything. And then everything... That has been fulfilled by the Son, which is how much? Everything is now being applied and put into activity by the Holy Spirit. Everything. So we can't leave one person of the Trinity out without excluding all three. We can't talk about one without involving all three. However, we do are able to, and the Bible does do this, emphasize the role or the activity or the purpose, etc., of one person of the Godhead over another. Keeping in mind that even if it's just about Jesus, this passage, just about Jesus, just or the Holy Spirit, just the Holy Spirit, the other two persons of the Trinity are involved. Do we see that? Extremely important. Christianity is a Trinitarian monotheistic religion. We believe in one God and three persons, monotheistic, monotheistic, one God revealed how in three persons. It's a Trinitarian monotheistic religion. Now, so we begin with Psalm 2. That means this, that when God is going to oppose the rebellious nature, nations, does the father do it unilaterally? Do you know what I mean by unilateral? By himself. Does he do anything on his own by himself. I, I'm not going to get through this lesson today. Does God the Father. Please get this. Please get this. Does God the Father. Who are we talking about? God the Father. We're talking about the Father. We're not talking about some lesser deity. Is your name Ezra? Hmm. We're talking about whom, Todd? The Father. Mike? Who? The Father. The Father. The Father never does anything by himself. 
Everything the Father does is involved, involves whom? The Son and the Spirit. Everything the Son does involves the Father and the Spirit. Everything the Spirit does involves the Father and the Son. I, I think I said that right. Did I say it right? That means this. And you need to write this down because this we need to know personally. Nothing about God is unilateral. Do you know what I mean by unilateral? Huh? On his own, by himself. I'm going to go out and do this. And I don't need anybody to help me. I know how to do it, brother. One of the big issues in Christianity and America especially is this spirit of Satan, of Antichrist, which emphasizes me, my, I, me, I, I don't need, I don't have to, I can do it. That's a rebellious spirit. Can you say amen? Why? Because not even God, the Father, or the Son, or the Holy Spirit themselves do this. Do we understand that? So when we see that God is going to oppose the nations, he opposes the nations in a Trinitarian way. And specifically, the Father Opposes the nations through the anointed son by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know it's a lot to talk about just in the first verse. We're in deep trouble here, David. But I think it's very important to understand some of these very basic issues. Why? Because they impact the way I live, the way I relate, the way I lead, the way I think, the way I respond. Are you with me on that? And especially for leadership in the church. For leadership in the church. One of the most fundamental issues and truths of any leader in the church needs to learn very quickly is this issue of what? Together. And in the midst of being together, the issue of deferring. Letting someone else, preferring, cooperating together. It's not just me, me, I, I'm this and that, you follow me, whatever. That's not what this is all about. So let's look at Psalm 2. We divide it into four sections. The first section, verses 1 to 3. The first section, verses 1 to 3, have to do with humanity's rebellion against God and his anointed. Do you see it? You can't rebel against God the Father without rebelling against God the Son, without rebelling against God the Holy Spirit. Are we getting this? So the psalm opens with the question, why are the nations in an uproar and the people's devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand. Da -dun, da -dun, da -dun, da -dun. You watch a lot of these movies, knights and, you know, swords and all that. Da -da -da -da. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us get rid of these rulers over us. We need to be free, free of the authority of God. And cast away their cords from us. Isn't that the essence of Genesis 3? Hath God said he is God? 
Hath God said he's God? I know it doesn't sound like that, but that's what he's talking about. If you partake of this that you want, apart from the will of God, he doesn't want you to do that because he knows in the day that you eat of the fruit, what? You shall be as God knowing what? Good and evil. Rebellion against the rule of God. Here we have a condensed history of mankind as they continue in Adam's rebellion. Remember the rebellion of Adam, Genesis 3, 6, and he ate the last three words of that verse. The condensed history of mankind and against the rule of God. Very sobering. Just go back before you go to bed tonight and read 2 Kings 17 beginning with verse 7. And I think it goes through verse 44. Could be mistaken a verse or two. 2 Kings 17 7 to 44. And you will get explained why all the calamities came upon the people of God. So let's notice that rebellion, as I said, is against God and is anointing. Remember what Jesus said, Luke 10, 16. He who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Why, does, why do I have to believe in Jesus? I believe in God. No, you have a mental assent to God. You believe that there is a God, but you don't believe in or trust or submit to God if you are not submitting and trusting to Jesus. So you're with me on this. If you don't have one, you don't have the other. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, 23. He who hates me hates my father also. Well, I I don't hate Jesus. I just don't believe he's the son of God. I don't hate. You do hate him because hatred as defined by God, which is man's repudiation of God's love. It is a rejection of the revelation of who God is. And anyone who rejects anything about the revelation of God hates God. Well, I don't feel hatred. Well, that's beside the point. When God says, you hate me by not receiving all of who I am and understanding who I am and following me, you hate me. You see, with God, it's very black and white. You either love me or you hate me. Now, there's a growing into the love. But there's no middle ground here. Well, I kind of love God. No. The question of humanity's condemnation has always been about man's rejection of God's rule through his son. Has always been that way. You see, the world would be fine if it was just about God. Don't you see we all believe in God? God is good. God loves everybody. God isn't going to attempt condemn anybody. That's not happening. You Christians are narrow-minded. Y'all are bigots. You don't understand anything. God is bigger than that. Surely God wouldn't condemn you and send you to hell. Well, he doesn't send you to hell. You send yourself to hell. The issue is this. Is Jesus the Son of God, the Son of Man, And have we received him as Lord? That's the issue of our life. Everything else is built upon that issue. The next verses, 4 to 6, God's response to the opposition. You may notice that when the world rises up against God, 
He isn't wringing his hands. Now, how many of you believe, and please raise your hand if you genuinely believe this. I really want to see it. How many of you believe that God is always comprehensively, instantly, completely sovereign in any and everything? How many of you do believe that? Do you believe God is that way? And so when we see the nation, Sue, rise up against God, are we going to be worried about it? No. Why? Because God, what? Is ready for them. Do you see that, Carrie? Rosa? Do you know Ryan? Have you met Ryan and Casey? Casey with a K. How many of us know that when the nations rise up against the people of God, that God is ready for it? How many of you know that? How many of you worry that God is going to lose? How many genuine worry? Then why are we so divided and worried over COVID? Why? Well, COVID is important. Of course. No one's diminishing the significance of this pandemic. No one. But why is the church in such an uproar about COVID? Why? Is our God sovereign? This church is in an uproar. Now, am I inferring that if you're not here today, you don't trust God's sovereignty? Absolutely not. And if that's in your mind, Satan put it there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Call it what it is. And we are to be led by the Holy Spirit. Should we be here or not? Be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, be led by the Holy Spirit. Should I get a shot or not? Be led. Who? How? How? Who? By the Holy Spirit. Learn what God is telling you to learn. Investigate. Look at it. Study it. Learn and be led by the Holy Spirit. And do not condemn the word of God that the Holy Spirit may give another believer by not agreeing with him. Therefore, if you are, you are condemning God himself. And there are too many people in this church, maybe in this room, who are critical. Well, they need to do this. Better better not do that. And Romans 8 says, Holy Spirit says, who shall bring a charge against God's people? Who? Because when you charge one another, you are charging the God who is leading us. Amen. Now, you may say, well, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Can blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, then pray for that person. Because if we are washed away, or if we are floundering because of this little bitty issue of COVID, then what in the world are we going to do when the nations of the world begin to rise up in rebellion against our God and we begin to experience real problems. Am I saying COVID is not a problem? Did I just say that? No. But comparatively, Sherry, right? 
comparatively. Church, we need to grow up in Christ. I'm sorry. There may be some of you listening to me. I don't like that. I don't, I'm not, it's not important whether you like it. Do you believe God? Because if you don't like this and God's sovereignty, <laughs> who are you? Ron, aren't you glad you came this morning? You see, how can we teach the word and not apply it on a daily basis? And that's why the Lord needs to give us seven hours in the morning on Sunday morning. You know, you see, this is the God, this sovereign God who ruled over, has ruled from the very beginning, will continue to rule for how long? For eternity, eternity, eternity. There's never been a moment when God is not ruling. It never has. And Peter never will, right? This is the God whose purpose for his anointed son will come to pass. Even in the midst of all this rebellion, nothing and no one at any time, combination or whatever, can stand against the will of God. And the will of God is in his son, with his son, through his son, by his son, because of his son. This is the God who has been fully prepared to deal with man's humanity, to deal with COVID. When? Ephesians 1.4. When? From the foundation of of the world. Do you believe that God had no idea of Wuhan, China? Oh, man, had I known that if no Listen, I, I am sitting out here, not physically there, listening to this also, because I have Gene would tell you, I sometimes don't do well in this. But let me say this to you. This I do know. I sometimes have to wrestle with myself and my feelings and what I hear, right? By the way, I don't listen to all this news anymore like I used to. Listen about five minutes a day and then turn it off and read the Bible or do something. Build you up in Christ. But when I am having struggles, Kenny, you know what I'm going to do? And I'm going to do it. I'm going to rise up and begin to say what is true about God. Begin to proclaim the truth about God, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I think it's verse 6, taking every thought, meaning contrary thought, captive to the obedience of Christ. Gail, did you want to uh, notice somebody? Yeah. Who? I just said Ezra's name. Ezra, what's your sister's name? Tell him. Did you get it? It's been that way for 12, 13 years. Now, go ahead. So what is God's response? God laughs. He laughs. The Lord of heaven and earth laughs at the futile attempts to resist him. In verse 5 and 6, then, look, look, verse 4. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. He's, the Lord scoffs at them. <laughs> Then verse 5 and 6. Then he will speak to them in his anger. You don't want God to laugh at you. Please listen to me. You don't want God to laugh at you. Why? Because then he's going to speak what? In his anger and terrify them in his fury saying, As for me, I have, I have already installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. 
Zion, the location of, on earth that represents the temple of God, the, the, the throne of God, rather. How was God prepared? How did he do it? How, how was God always, he's always been prepared. How, he's already installed his king. Do you see it? He didn't say, I'm going to install my king against these people, and I'm going to show them. God has installed his king. Now, in, in one sense, his king is installed in a particular time frame. Do we understand that? But in another sense, and in the greater sense, when was God's king installed upon Mount Zion? When? Ephesians 1.4. Before the foundation of the world. God has always had his king, his anointed son, on the throne to rule over the creation which God the Father would give to Jesus to create. And as the creator, he's always ruled over this, the affairs of men. Now what we're going to do is see in a time frame... The revelation or the outworking of that eternal rule of this installed king. Do we see that? And God's going to be showing it to us through types that prefigure or foreshadow this coming king. And he's going to show us the installation of this king through the installation of a man named David. And he's going to say, I'm going to install David. And he's going to be the king in a temporary location or, you know, kind of a natural kind of a time frame sense. But in doing that, I want you to see that I am representing my king, this coming king. David is going to be a type of this king who will reign forever. Are we with me? That's what David is all about. Doesn't mean every aspect of David's life is a representation of Jesus. In this psalm... David is God's anointed king against whom the surrounding nations are gathered in opposition. You remember the story. Remember when David went to the throne, he defeats all those nations. If you go to 2 Samuel 8, you'll see David defeated this, David defeated that, David defeated this, David defeated And he lists, I don't, I don't remember, about four nations that have surrounded Israel. David has defeated them. And now he's going to be the king during a time of his rule where he has subdued all of his enemies. God has set him on the throne as the one who will rule over the affairs of Israel, having defeated the nations around him. Do you see that? Do you see a picture of who that is? Do you see a picture of who that is? God is going to set his man on the throne to rule over his people. This man having already defeated all of his enemies. <clears throat> and what three words proclaim that defeat of the enemy? John 19.30. If you don't know it, write it down. It is finished. At the cross, the victory is won. The payment has been made. And God raises his son... To authenticate that what he did at the cross was the work of God. You see, David is the type or the representative of the anointed king through whom God will defeat all of those who have been gathered against his rule. And when has man been gathered against his rule? From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, the rebellion began. And it will continue until Jesus himself returns in the skies with a shout of the archangel. And the trumpet of the Lord. Amen. Yeah. 
And because God has installed his king, listen, because God has installed his king, in his own mind and intention, the king has always been installed. But in a time frame, God manifests that installation which he has prophesied in the Old Testament through the installation of David. He brings to pass in a time frame at the cross, in the burial, in the resurrection, in the ascension, and in the crowning or the exaltation of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Son of Man forever. Amen? You see, there is a man now who rules over all of the universe for the purpose of God. This one is absolutely, comprehensively, continually, instantly. I like that word, instant. When is God sovereign? When? Faster than that. When? Faster than that. He's instantly sovereign. Sometimes we think, huh, when is, you know, come on, God, you know, who, um, no. Ha, ha. Joseph, when is God sovereign? Instantly. Always with what? Also what? Instantly. How many of you like that word instantly? You don't have to worry about it. So because of that, let's listen to these words. You may be in your Bible. And everyone, every one of us, but especially those who are really quaking under these days. And I, I am not critical or complaining about you or making fun of you. Merely saying we are being rocked back and forth because we need to make sure that our theology is set in the truth that God himself is completely, instantly, comprehensively sovereign even over these days. Amen? So because of that, listen to what this Apostle Paul says. In all these things, how many? How many? In all these things, we are more than conquerors, King James says. That's how I, you know, memorize it. And more than conquerors through him or through the anointed king, through his installed king, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor COVID, nor anything will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're in the hands of this God. And he ain't lost no one Ever, and he ain't going to lose nobody. Why? Because we're in his hands because he grabbed us out of the miry clay of sin and brought us into his kingdom to cause us to become his forgiven, adopted children forever. We are as secure today as Jesus is secure. We are as loved today, John 17, 26, by the Father as Jesus is loved today. So next week, we'll talk about the rest of Psalm 2. Thank you.